Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's you know what I love about it's, the Electric Now app? It's better it's so on video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download the it. app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff, too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it. And then it, in press, the United States. Press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose, you can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait, download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. And welcome to WonderCon at home. I guess you're at home, but we're in Anaheim. Just look at Steve. We've been having a great time here at Comic-Con. We're wondering where you are. And uh, I, I, anybody get anything good at the um, at the dealer's room? Probably not. No. Okay. Well, I want to introduce you to this great panel. Obviously, I am not Chris Parnell. Uh, sadly, uh, the much smarter, charming, and talented uh, Chris Parnell uh, could not be here. So I'm stepping in to uh, moderate. I'm Mark Altman. I'm showrunner of CW's Pandora, now streaming commercial-free on Amazon. And uh, I will be leading today's discussion, uh, which is brought to you by the 430 Movie Podcast and Electric Now, the free streaming video app you can download from your favorite app store. And includes the hit video podcast, the 430 Movie, and Glorious Trexperts. And best movies never made, as well as hundreds of hours of entertainment. Wow. First plug, 30 seconds, already a plug. <laughs> That's awesome. So anyway, um, I'm really excited because we have a combination of uh, a, a veterans, veterans of this panel, and we have some new newcomers, which is going to be a good mix because you won't hear the same answers you hear every year. No, it's, it's going to be it's going to be really exciting. I'm, I'm so glad because it's kind of like the next generation. We're kind of like refreshing it, refreshing it. And, you know, like if I end up like dying in the next couple of years, at least I know the panel will be in a good hands. So it's a, it's a good thing. And uh, I know. You went dark it's, right away. I, I, it's a dark time. It's a very dark time. So uh, I want to introduce you. And first I have to say, two of our regular panelists who won't be joining us uh, for the best of all possible reasons, uh, the wonderful and talented and fantastic Sarah Watson, is scrambling to finish her pilot right now. Um, she just shot uh, a pilot. Had we introduced it, she would have gotten a standing ovation, even over virtual, because she is making a pilot uh, for Warner Brothers about the kids recreating uh, uh, Goonies for a fan film. And uh, we're all so excited for her. We can't wait to see it. Richard Donner and Steven Spielberg are executive producers, so we're thrilled for, for Sarah. And that is a good excuse not to be on this panel today, but she promises to be back for San Diego. And uh, speaking of people who are playing hooky from this panel, uh, Ryan Condell, who is working on this tiny little public access show, um, it's called uh, House of Dragons for HBO. It's the uh, follow-up to uh, Game of Thrones. So he's in the UK on a completely different time schedule and getting ready to start shooting the series. Uh, so he couldn't join us. He also promises to be with us in San Diego. And I will hold that against him when HBO publicity tells him, no, you can't do that panel. You can only do stuff promoting uh, uh, Game of Thrones. But we're going to get him back. And he would love to be back. So anyway, I want to introduce you to um, our panel today. 
we have such great, great and talented people uh, from across all kinds of genres and all kinds of writing. Uh, first, um, an old friend of mine, uh, a super talented uh, showrunner. Uh, she has contributed to a wide variety of television dramas, including Farscape, Grey's Anatomy, Ugly Betty, Castle, The Vampire Diaries, Haven, The Flash, and Titans. She is a Writers Guild of America Award winner and received two nominations. And just there's Emmys galore. She was showrunner on Haven uh, for four seasons. And she was the executive producer and showrunner of CD, uh, the CW's The Flash, co-executive producer on season one of Titans for DC Universe, and is currently executive producer and showrunner of the Amazon series, The Summer I Turned Pretty, the story of Ashley Miller's life. Uh, and uh, that is, of course, Gabrielle Stanton. Welcome, Gab. Hello. I feel very important now. Well, you should. That was a good bio. Very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. So, uh, and speaking of Ashley, this well, is the summer he turned pretty. And uh, we are so excited because he's been talking about this mysterious show of his that he's been working on for Netflix for, for quite a while. Just recently, it had its premiere. It's a huge hit. People love it. And of course, I'm talking about Dota Dragon's Fire. Dragon's um, Blood, but that's okay, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pete, it's, you know what? It's, it's animated by Pete Potwistle. <laughs> That's what you get for not sending your bio to me before the panel. <laughs> and, and, and look, you already got a spinoff. So know, there right? you go. That's the best part. <laughs> anyway, Dota, Dragon's Blood is a huge success for Netflix. We're thrilled to have Ashley. Ashley has written for such shows as Fringe, Black Sails, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He's also written the feature films, Thor, X-Men First Class. And along with Stephen Melching, he recently launched the new animation podcast, Cartoon Barroom. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you for having me. You should think about changing the name of your show. Oh my God, we've changed it twice. Okay. It's a, so, it's a title so nice, we've changed it twice. <laughs> Making his return engagement to the panel. Uh, you've seen him in San Diego, he's back. It's VJ Boyd. He's written for Justified and SWAT and was the co-creator of Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector. Welcome back to the panel, VJ. Thank you very much, Mark. I even managed to get your uh, your shows correct. <laughs> Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Dragon's Blood, yes. I, I'm, 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 I'm telling you, Parnell is sitting at home just shaking his head going, oh, I, I should have moderated. I, why, why, did I, why did I not moderate this? I'm going to watch this now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Also joining us, another regular of the panel. Thrilled, we're thrilled to have him back. He's an Emmy and WGA award-nominated writer-producer on more than 40 animated shows, including X-Men, the animated series, Batman, the Brave and the Bold, Star Wars Rebels, the Pete Pot Whistle Hour, Carmen Sandiego, and the upcoming Dota Dragon's Blood, which <laughs> premiered recently on Netflix. Stephen Melching. Hi there. How you doing? We're good, Steve. How, how's things in Anaheim? Uh, it's it's a it's a hot day today. It's gorgeous. As you can see, there's lots of blue skies and golden sunshine uh, down here in Anaheim. Wow! To quote David Lynch, <laughs> sounds exciting. Okay, he's a co-executive producer and writer for television, features, video, mobile games, and comic books. He is best known for his TV work on Sci-Fi Channel's Warehouse 13, CW's Beauty and the Beast, The Flash, MTV's Scream Season 3, CW's Arrow, and most recently, CW's Legacy. Welcome back, Derek Hughes. Sorry, correction. It's Legacy's Dragon's Ass. 
That's the name <laughs> oh, of the show. Are we, are, we're not going to let this go, <laughs> are we? No. God. Uh, man. I can't believe it. And plus, the uh, Comic-Con did say to not use profanity as kids may be watching. So uh, I'm just going to I'm going to let it go and I'm going to move on. <laughs> I'll move on. The body so, part uh, that a dragon has. It's yeah, fun. Exactly. Right. Actually, it's a cloaca. <laughs> and Dragon's Cloaca was one of the, the rejected titles, honestly. It's people thought I take it the wrong I, way. I hate moderating these panels. Okay, she's a writer who shows uh for such shows as Millennium, Haunted, Freakish, Swamp Thing. I see you didn't mention Scream. And most recently, Motherland. Catherine K. Rindell. Welcome, Kay. Good to see you. One of our original, one of the original five. So uh it's 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 great to have you back. Now I'm going to get to the next generation. I'm so excited. We have some great people joining the panel. And isn't that what being a writer is about, about paying it forward? So it's so nice that we have some new people um, who can, you know, I mean, this this next panel, I can tell you, he, he years ago, he was my um, intern, assistant, P, really PA on, on, one, on, on one of my features. And he is having tremendous success right now. Um, I'm going to, he has, uh, not only got his start on the popular web series, Honest Trailers, he moved into TV work as a writer and story editor on several different comedy series for Disney Channel. After developing a pilot with Disney, he went to executive produce and showrun the animated series Skylanders for Netflix based on the Activision Blizzard property. But he is currently a writer and producer on one of my favorite shows. And I'm not, that's not hyperbole. That's me saying it really is one of my favorite shows. It's one of the reasons he got on the panel, because I want to hear stories about the show that I love so much. HBO Max is the flight attendant. Welcome, Ian Weinreich. Oh, Weinreich. Hi, Mark. Hey, <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you, too. I, I, it's been a long time. Seven, 17 years, maybe? 16, Oh, 15? my God. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're aging both of us. I know. I just, I just got to say, Ian was an amazing PA. But you're an even better writer. So uh, It's close, but uh, I think I've, I've, it's like, yeah, I never know. Which one had more benefits? That's a good question. Say <laughs> what is more? What is more satisfying? Okay. Speaking of super talented people who've never been on our panel, are now this is another one of our hyphenates. He, he we have a couple of hyphenates this 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 time, which is which is going to be really interesting. And we have two with the same hyphen. So we'll see who's it going to be. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's an artist. He's a filmmaker. He made the tracking boards young and hungry list of the top hundred writers on the verge. As a writer, he is producer on Amazon Prime series The Boys and wrote on NBC's Timeless. There's still a plane going around the convention center saying renew Timeless. He recently adopted, adapted for the autobiography Running for My Life by former NFL running back Warwick Dunn for anonymous content. And uh, he will also adapt the book Asada, an autobiogra autobiography by the fugitive Black Panther Asada Sikchakor for Freedom Road Pictures. He's a writer's fellow at HBO. See, this is what happens when you send the bio. You get all the good stuff. Uh, writer's fellow at HBO, a screenwriting fellow at Film Independent. And as a filmmaker, he is currently developing his short film, Fractal, collaborating with the Jim Henson Creature Shop, ILM, and executive producer, Eric Kripke. He is Anselm Richardson. We know him as Slim. Of course, we work together on Agent X. And uh, he is probably the greatest artist we've ever had in a writer's room. He would always make little little uh, drawings of what was going on in the writer's room. It was great. And I, I, I hopefully maybe you have people some sleeping, you people us. snacking. Is that what was going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trader yeah. Joe's. It was all pictures <laughs> of Trader Joe's. Uh, welcome, Slim. How are you? 
I'm good, guys. Actually, I have to admit, I've never been to WonderCon, so this is. And you still haven't. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, and it's funny because we used to talk in the writers' room about uh, the show about Agent X, and oh, by second season, third season, we'll be going to Comic Con. It's going to be great. They're going to love us there, and of course, we got canceled after New York Comic Con. So. Uh, anyway, by the way, uh, by the way, Slim, I have heard that you have the best board handwriting anyone's ever seen. Don't, don't, don't let that go around. I have heard this. Don't from let that go around. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I don't want to write on the board anymore. <laughs> even, even when he's, when, even when he's a showrunner, he'll still be writing on the board. Be like, we heard you had the best handwriting. <laughs> How is this know, It's in my contract <laughs> that only Slim writes on the board. That's it. I'm sorry. Hey, here she controls the board controls the room dude virtual hey, tell us why you don't want that get, tell us why you don't want that getting out tell us why being known for having great handwriting and being great on the board is something you never want people to know because you never get to sit down and you are the room secretary <laughs> for the rest of your career <laughs> it is, it, you know, I also have pretty good handwriting and it is exhausting standing in front of that goddamn board for hours and try to keep track of everything and get everything on that board and get it in the, like the right order that like makes sense to people and everything. Oh my God. And then when something changes, just like one thing changes and you're just like, Oh my God. I got one more. I got one more introduction before we start another parenthetical. She was raised to be a doctor, but born to be an artist. Well, wow, I can't do this. I need Don LaFontaine to read your bio. I can't, <laughs> I can't do this. A genuine MIT graduate. She gave up problem sets and thermodynamics to become a writer, actor, and producer. Her parents are still scratching their heads. See, I, I, I didn't go for the joke. I wasn't ready for it. She is a graduate of the CBS Writers Mentoring Program and was named a WGA Writer Access Project Honoree. She was a staff writer on SEAL Team on CBS and is currently a story editor on MacGyver on CBS. Teresa's superpowers include power napping, parallel parking, and spending too much money at farmer's markets. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's Teresa Wong. Welcome. Newcomer. Yes. Ah, Thanks for and of course, me. you're welcome. And of course, I'm Mark A. Altman, writer producer for the shows as Castle, Agent X, Librarians, and Necessary Roughness, and the showrunner of CW sci-fi series Pandora, currently streaming on Amazon Prime, and the author of some many wonderful books, like <laughs> The 50-Year Mission and Oral History of Star Trek. My new book about Star Wars will be out this July with Ed Gross. Okay. So Those guys, looks like came girls. from the ether. They came from the, the void. <laughs> it does look like that. Because yeah. like, I didn't know Mark was in front of a background until he just now. now. You know what <laughs> the weird part is? He's not in front of a background. <laughs> How did he do that? He reached into another okay. dimension and brought his books out. <laughs> let me let me, let me me tell you. I will tell you the story to abuse your cat. So um, here's the thing. I, I, I'm up in my office, which basically has a Peloton and a big window behind me. And it's pretty messy. And I realized, like, I hate I hate that as the background. So I said, what if I take a background of another part of my house, which isn't near the, the internet router, that looks better, and use that as my background? So I literally uh, took a picture from downstairs, and I'm using that to fake my office upstairs. And it's working out great. That's oh, great. Anyway, there you go. That's great producing, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I, 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 I try. I try. So, you know, I want to ask you all, um, particularly some of our, our veterans on the panel, you know, people on these kind of panels, they always talk about, you know, how'd you break in? And I, I always think that's a kind of ridiculous question because everyone who's broken in has their own unique story, which isn't particularly useful 
uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, people aren't going to be able to break in the way, you know, Ashley did or okay did. There, there's not one story. There's not like a lesson that, oh, this is how you break in. But what I'd like you to talk about is once you did break in, how did you engineer that next step? How did you go from being staff writer, uh, um, you know, maybe to eventually a co-exec or a showrunner or sell that first pilot? What, because people don't realize, they think once they've broken in, they've made it, right? But that's that's not true. So tell me about once you're, you're, you're in the game, how do you go from being the guy writing on the board to the guy running the show? Um, and I'm going to start with VJ. VJ, what do you what, what, do? You have an answer for that? Uh, you know, in in my case, I was very fortunate that the show I was on, which was Justified, kept coming back, and that's extremely helpful when you can get that first job and the show keeps coming back and you can kind of rise in the ranks on that show. Because uh, Mark's very correct that I know a lot of people who got that staff writing job and then the show got canceled and then they went a year, two years maybe longer before they got had to break in again, you know? Um, and, but I would also say that sometimes the show comes back and they don't bring you back, you know? Um, in my, so in my case, I was also fortunate that they kept bringing me back. Um, and I think that uh, the second season I was there, because I was a two-season staff writer, that's a whole other conversation that a lot of people have to go through that as well. And I think that I really, uh, I, I really had to prove myself that second staff writer season because i think so to give a quick bit of advice so we can go around and everyone else can can give advice also it was that my first staff writer season i treated it more like one would treat a job where you are starting this job where i'm going to learn and you know i'm gonna let everybody else you know speak first which is what they tell you to do you know and i'm going to i'm gonna try and have pitches prepared and stuff but Unfortunately, that was not impressive on the show that I was in. That was not what they wanted. That was what some of the producers above me told me I should do. But the boss, the guy who's going to decide whether I come back, that's not what he wanted, right? So the next season when they brought me back, I was aware, okay, no matter what certain people above me want, they want me to be quiet. I need to talk because that's what the guy who controls my, my employment situation uh, uh, wants. So I just had to learn that, okay, who's in control of my fate here? That's who I need to please, you know, who's the showrunner. I'm going to do what the showrunner wants, and I'm just not going to, I'm just going to have to live with this guy over here glancing at me because he doesn't think staff writers should talk, right? So that would be my piece of advice. What was it like for you, Gab? I mean, you, you started off um, you know, you were staff writer, well, I, a VIP, if I re remember, VIP, yeah. and you had been freelancing for a while. And then I know, you know, you, you um, your, your first chance to show run was on Moonlight, if I, I'm not uh, mistaken. Yeah, Moonlight uh, was number one, yeah. Yeah, so, um, see, I, I listen to these panels. I watch these panels. <laughs> and so um, tell us about, you know, kind of moving up and and how you do that and and also maybe you know what are the the things that work and then sometimes what can be um you know scary about that process well it's it's interesting because vijay touched on it a little bit back when i was kind of starting out um it was really kind of like the army like every year you got a promotion to the next level from staff writer story editor executive story editor and it pretty much went along um, unlike VJ, like I was only I was on a show, I was on VIP, but only on for one year um, because I then took another job on Earth Final Conflict, which then got canceled. 
And then I took a job on Farscape, which was only for a year because it was in Australia. So like I was, again, trying to go out every single time and start kind of all over again. The, the slight advantage I, I feel like I may have had over people now is there really wasn't a question whether when I got that next show if that I was going to get that position bump. You know, like people were not as inclined to say, oh, well, you were story editor last time. You have to be story editor this time. It was just kind of a little more of a given. So in that way, um, I think it's much harder now. I know people who have been staff writers like three times on like, you know, two or three different shows. Um, and it's, it's really hard to kind of break up through the level. I think the trickiest thing to navigate is that mid-level. You know, you can break in and you can get that like story editor job. You can make it up to like executive story editor. But nowadays, in particular, like so much, many of these rooms for these streaming shows and these short order shows, they basically just want, you know, the staff writer who's not getting paid basically any money and then the co-EPs and up. So I think you re is what's really hard and what you need, like Vijay was saying, is to get yourself on a show that keeps coming back and you keep coming back so that you can kind of fight through that middle ground. I mean, the hardest person to try to convince anyone to staff would be like a co-producer or like a producer, you know, because they're, they're sometimes super experienced, but they just don't have that upper level that makes the studio comfortable. And yet they're far more expensive than like a really lower level person. So I have no advice because who knows what show you get on if it's going to get picked up. I was on shows for one year that I thought I was going to like retire on. And then I was on shows that I was like, well, this isn't going to make it six episodes and it's still running. So it's, it's, it's hard to say, but that right now I think is something that people starting out have to navigate that I feel like wasn't as common back, back when I started out. Hey, how did you make the jump from uh, being a, a writer who was uh, moving up the ladder to, to show running your own shows? Uh, you know, well, what was... I, I am something of a cautionary tale um, because I was stuck at producer level for 10 years. 10 years stuck at producer level. So the only show that, that my writing partner and I were on that went longer than a year was our first show, Millennium. We were on that for two years. And every year since then, and that was when a lot of you were in high school, every year since then, we have had to start over every year. So I think, you know, the thing that's great about these panels is also the thing that is not helpful a lot of times about these panels, because you see people who are very successful and, and who, now obviously I'm not saying if you're on a show that runs for 10 years, you're not talented, you're crazy talented to be on a show that runs for 10 years, but you don't have to think so much about moving up the ladder. It's a lot harder when you're basically just freelancing the entire time. So I think it, it was hard then. It's even harder now, like Gab was talking about the, the short order shows. You know, there are cable networks that have designated their seasons as season 1A and 1B so that they don't have to promote writers. So it's a real problem. And honestly, you know, the best advice that I could give somebody is make sure your agent is a killer and make sure they move you up that ladder as quickly as they possibly can. Do not take, oh, I'll be, you know, now they have this whole new thing that's like a, a junior or senior staff writer. That's insanity. Staff writer should not be a three-year process. 
Wait, um, do you really have senior staff writing? Senior staff, yes. I've I have heard that this is a new thing that they're coming up with so that I they think don't it's like on Disney well, shows, right? I think that's um, yeah, I've yeah. talked with some people who've been stuck yeah. there. And it's it's a real problem. And the best thing you can do is just just try to blow through those levels as quickly as possible. And if your agent, like we had a not great agent clearly for a while, if your agent um, is not on board with that, you have to get a better agent. As soon as we got a better agent, that agent immediately turned around and moved us. We got moved up and we still were not on shows. It came back, but she, she got us those promotions so that we were able to in two years, get to co-EP from, from 10 years at producer. That title bump is so important. And I know we were in a show where there's some major problems and we were being asked, my writing partner and I, to sort of do, um, you know, I wouldn't say help save the show, but get things back on the tracks and, you know, rewriting a lot of stuff and and, and, and fixing a lot of things on sets and basically doing a lot above our, our title. And, you know, so our one thing was we didn't want more money. We didn't want anything. We didn't want, all we wanted was the title bump. That, and, and, and it was such a good decision on our part because I think, What's happening a lot of times, even for people who are selling pilots, they're not even getting EP. They're getting like co-EP potentially when we, they so. We, we worked on a show where it was created by two guys. One of them got an EP credit. The other one got a supervising producer credit. Whoa. I know. Yeah, <laughs> what that's crazy. That. That, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I want to ask for um, two of our parentheticals who are actors in, in Teresa and Slim's case. Um, why the drive to um, writing and how do you feel that your uh, career as an actor benefited your writing careers? So I'll start with Teresa. Oh, uh, I mean, I suppose there's the obvious things like understanding character, um, you know, understanding how an actor breaks down a scene really helps me and, you know, know the elements I need to put into a scene. Um, on a practical level, I know the actor's brain. So when we're in the room talking about a scene, I'll be the first to point out, like, this actor has no lines. Like, this actor is in the scene. They only said one thing. Like, let's let's look at that because they're going to read this script and be like, why am I here if I'm only saying one thing? And, and just uh, understanding when I'm talking to directors during prep about how to uh, approach the actor. That's one thing I'm always gauging, you know, early on in the prep process is, how comfortable is this director with the actors? And when I'm telling them about the actors on the show and how to approach them, you know, I'm tr- I, I, I can do it in a way that gives them the tools to speak to that actor to get the performance they need because I know how actors are sensitive people. You know, that's that's why we approach that, you know, way, why we love that art. And it's like, you really have to <laughs> approach them in a, you know, with a little bit of delicacy to make sure that they don't get sh- shut down and don't, you know, throw away your lines and not give you the performance that you know the story needs to hold it together. What about you, Slim? Yo, give me that question one more time, Yo. Just how do you feel that uh, your career as an actor prepared you for your writing career and how does it benefit you and maybe how is it, is it all a liability for you? No, it's not a liability until like, you know, <laughs> you're in the writer's room and all the other writers looking at you like, you're the mole. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of them. Um, but uh, for me, I only got into um, into writing because I just wasn't going out for the roles that I was interested in. You know what I mean? The really cool three-dimensional, you know, um, 
stuff that that inspired me as an actor coming up and 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 um and Teresa's right it's 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 this great thing of knowing what actors want and are looking for and knowing you know where they were either a few episodes ago an episode ago or a season ago or whatever and where that character arc can either naturally take them or send them into a place that's surprising um, for that actor to kind of like bite into and, and treating every episode, uh, at least, you know, either the script that you're working on or, or when you're helping the other writers, how to make sure that every actor um, and every character is serviced. So there's nobody just sort of just like hanging out, you know what I mean? And waiting for, you know, the one and two to just go through their scene. Every, I mean, just like life, everybody's doing something, everybody's active. Um, and, and that's the really cool thing. And then when you're on set, it just becomes natural. I mean, that's, uh, I just love being on set. You know what I mean? I, in front of, behind the camera and that whole process and helping the directors out when, um, you know, they're more interested in a shot or, you know, how it, how it looks. And it's like, you got to get into the emotion. We have to get into like the, the motivation. You got to, you know, really mind that and, uh, and come up with something rich. Eric, I want to ask you. A, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Teresa. I was just, I'll add again, you, add on to that. This is not to say that writers don't have these skills too. You know, like writers, that's what all of, we all do on our shows is try to get in the mind of our actors and figure out how to get the performance we want out of them. But um, I think I've, I've found it helps, you know, the staff I'm on right now when they're like, why, why did this actor have this reaction? So that, you know, I talked to this actor and they had this reaction and I can kind of, well, it's probably because of this. And <laughs> I've been there, you know, when you look at the script and you're just looking at your stuff and you're like, what does this mean? Am I getting written off? It's like, no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Eric, I want to ask you, because you, you've um, very successfully gone from show to show um, since breaking in, you know, you've, you've worked consistently. How have, how does one become indispensable in the room? How does one become that kind of person that, you know, showrunners know they can lean on, and, and they work consistently and are able to, um, you know, make that jump from show because people also don't realize showrunners talk, you know, uh, we all talk and often are giving references. And if someone is not good or, or someone is difficult, uh, people eventually are going to hear about it. And, uh, the, you know, and the people you like working about tend to work consistently because uh, they have advocates in their corner. And obviously, Derek, you're somebody like that who is consistently working. So what is that, uh, what is that experience like for you? What do you, what do you feel you and your writing partner bring to a room and how would you recommend that people can consistently, uh, bring that in their own careers? Um, to paraphrase, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows, don't fork up, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's first and foremost. I mean, I think that's the thing you want to be show that you're indispensable, that you are, you contribute, that you're a team player. Uh, you're not necessarily a contrarian. If you are a contrarian, you're a contrarian with ideas that is willing to push back, but know when to push back and when not to push back, especially when you're first starting out. Uh, it's really great to have a good support system in place, meaning a good showrunner that actually supports and believes in writers and will help writers. If not, then you have to pivot to who else could be your allies in on the show. Um, early on in our career, my writing partner and I, Ben Rab. Um, we would talk to ourselves and say like, well, we got to be like Switzerland. We cannot, you can't, you can't take sides. 
especially when it becomes very sort of political in a room where there's also these factions. And it's a bit, turns out, to turn, you know, starts to turn into Hunger Games where you're like in District 13 and District 9 is messing up. And you're like, do we go join with District 8? It's like, no, we got to, you know, you have to, you have to remain um, sort of neutral if you can. Again, it's like, because the last thing you want to do is ever paint a target on your back in, the, you know, the worst way imaginable, meaning that someone feels that you are not any of those things and that can affect your 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 next job. Because like you said, showrunners talk and it's very easy for a showrunner to pick up a phone and call some, you know, the other showrunner say, hey, you work with this person. How did it go? And and if all they remember is that you being troublesome and headache, nightmare, whatever, that will come out in mostly a diplomatic way. Sometimes they may like, look, ain't, you know, let's cone of silence here, but that, <laughs> they were total disaster. Don't ever hire them. Don't even let them near your children. It's like, it just, uh, you know, keep them, keep them away as much as possible. So I, I think those are things. And then at the end of the day, the other thing is you got to be a good writer. I mean, let's not forget that you are hired as a writer, as a person that has good ideas and, you know, it's, and you got to be good on, got to good on the page. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely a learning curve um, when you're first starting out because you're trying to capture the voice of that show and the showrunner again, will help you and the writers, you know, that that actually, you know, have been in your position will, you know, be there to help you out. But you still got to be able to not just impress the showrunner, you got to impress all the executives that, you know, are going to be reading your stuff. And that will ensure that they won't guarantee that you'll get a next job, but it increases your chances. And that's, I think that is the, the thing that you got to, you just got to keep those things in mind starting out um, because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to you're going to you're going to be stumbling over yourself. You're going to as as Vijay was saying the 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 idea that you know some people expect a, a staff writer to be quiet, not say anything. My showrunner was like, I didn't hire you to be quiet and be a bump on the log. I came with ideas, and he really set the tone. Jack Kenny in on Warehouse 13, uh, the very first day says, if you don't have an idea, I will go out in the lobby and talk to the security guard and get an idea from somebody. It's like, I didn't hire everybody to be mute. So, you, you know, it's like you want, um, you know, but you also have to understand it's like a, a little game of double dutch, like the timing of it, like when you can throw out your ideas. And then if it gets shot down, don't be that person that's going to be like trying to fight that idea all day long. <laughs> that's the other thing. So, uh, and I'm sure that everybody else can contribute in the same, uh, you know, here in this group can say, you know, have the same source of experiences and observations. And that's why they are where they are right now. It's because of these things. I want to ask, uh, you know, Steve, you've had such a successful career in animation, working on some of the the most important and enduring uh, 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 animated shows like Star Wars, The Clone Wars and, and, and Rebels, and now on... Um, Dota for Netflix, which is a, such a huge success. Um, so, and, and you know, you 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 bring this incredible amount of experience. Ashley, conversely, comes from the live action world. This was your first uh, brush with animation. Uh, can you tell us both what? Um, how would you compare and contrast uh, working in animation versus live action? Or is there not a dramatic difference? And, you know, uh, what were the biggest surprises to you, Ashley? And um, Steve, this was for you, I guess, your first quote, quote, quote unquote, adult animated series. Not that the Clone Wars and Rebels and um, uh, obviously Rusty and Big Guy and all these shows and X-Men weren't adult shows. But, you know, this is a, a, a more... A more um, uh, in terms of the audience that it's targeting, 
uh, and, and in terms of what you can do uh, uh, in, 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 with restrictions, um, it's a different kind of show for you. So can you guys sort of speak to that a little bit? Want to go? Start? Well, you're the boss. So you oh, go first, boss. I guess, right? All right. Fine. Um, fine, then. Maybe I will. You can't make me. Of course, you uh, didn't send your bio, so maybe I should let Steve go first right. since he right. follows but, instructions. <laughs> I'm terrible. That's why they put me in charge. I'm terrible at following instructions. I just give them. Um, so, uh, so, so here's what I can tell you the difference between writing for animation and writing for, for live action. Imagine that you're writing a one hour that has the budget of one of Jim Cameron's Avatar films. Only now you cut out half of the scenes, which means you get rid of the sea stories and all the bullshit that you hate and everybody finds boring anyway. Uh, and then you're kind of left with something that for anybody else would seem totally unproducible and you hand it off to people who are thousands of miles away <laughs> and you figure out a communication process with them. Um, it was it was a big shift. Uh, even like from the difference between, I mean, there's almost no comparison. The the difference between features and writing for television animation or writing for live action television and and writing for animation television, just in terms of the things I had to to know and understand. And when I started, I did not understand them at all. So I made the the best showrunning decision of my career, which was I decided to hire somebody who knew what the, he was talking about, which was Steve. Uh, to see me through the process. Because look, man, I did the WGA showrunner training program and, and there's a lot of stuff I know about, you know, producing and all of that. I mean, on this show, I was my own freaking line producer until last July, okay? Sending myself strongly worded emails about budget and schedule. I had set up some really ugly meetings with me. It, was, it wasn't pretty. Um, but there were things I'd had to understand about pipeline, about how things worked. Um, and I had to get smart on those things. And until I was smart, I needed to be surrounded by people who were already smart. Uh, and, and Steve was, was definitely one of them. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a process. It's, you know, for every 30-page uh, teleplay, um, you know, we did a 10-page outline just so that we could communicate with the animators what was coming. You know, we did, you know, another five or six pages just of, you know, things that are like, here are comps for, for props, for everything for prep was like another six pages of writing. Um, and then we would go through and do 10 pages that were basically breakdowns of every scene, like saying, point of view character, what's the tone? Like, what's the, what's the most important moments? You know, what are we, what do you, what do we not want to see if there's something specific that we're trying to avoid? So we're generating all of this material just to send to support the production of this 30-page script. Um, the other thing that was really different and, and is just astonished me is we are, we are writing all the way up until the moment that we're done with post. We are essentially rewriting and reshooting, in, in fact, until we're done with post. Um, you know, I, I can get episodes in that are fully animated and then say, golly, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of beyond ADR because it's, let's send it back. Let's do a retake. Like, let's get a completely different shot. Like in, in live action, you know, if you don't have the shot, man, sorry, sets are struck. The actors are gone and they hate you now. You know, it's just, you're not getting it. Um, but in animation, you can, but it takes a long time. Eight episodes of live action television takes 
what guys like, you know, if the gods are smiling on you and like you have no time, you can do that in, you know, several months. Um, eight episodes, a year, exactly. Eight episodes of animation. Uh, I've been working on it for two and a half years. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just come out. So it's, it's like making a feature. It's, it's pretty different. It's pretty crazy. And don't worry, you know, I'm, we're going to come to you after Steve speaks about making the transition from animation to live action. I want to hear about that as well, because you've had a lot of success in animation and now are doing live action. But Steve, uh, tell us about navigating those wars and, and the challenges, obviously. And then, you know, sort of being that that number two to, 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 to Ashley, you know, who came in not knowing what he didn't know, but had the benefit of, of, of you who knew quite a bit um, about this world of animation. Gosh, well, um, you know, as you said, a lot of the shows I've worked on, I, I would say, are, are sort of all audience shows. Uh, we never try to write down to kids. There are just certain content restrictions that, uh, that we have uh, based on where a show is, is going to air. But we always try to write the shows to be smart and uh, to, to write good characters and, and, you know, and be true to whatever, uh, whatever the show is. Uh, what was great about Dota was a lot of those content restrictions were gone, you know, for the first time I could write, you know, four letter words in my scripts. And, you know, we ended up cutting out a lot of them because we just didn't need them, but it was really fun to be able to do that for a change. And, you know, we had sex scenes and, and, you know, crazy violence sometimes that we, we couldn't get away with uh, on a, on a regular animated show, but in the context of this show was totally appropriate. You know, it was, it was, it, it, it was what the show needed. So, that was kind of liberating in a way to not have to have some of those filters in place. Um, but uh, other than that, it was, uh, you know, I had a really great experience working with Ashley on this show. He's an incredibly smart uh, and talented uh, storyteller. And I, I, you know, I, I learned some new tricks for sure uh, working on that show. And I'm really proud of, of what we did. Uh, and, and to, to kind of add on to what Derek was saying earlier about, um, sustaining a career, I think it's really about, you know, trying to be that, that number two or that person in the room or on the production that is, that is supportive, that is always has ideas, always has a positive problem solving attitude and is someone who's going to deliver professional quality work on time so that you're never the cause of a problem. You're, you're a solution. So you become someone that people want to work with and that will tell their friends, hey, you really should hire this guy or this, you know, this person. They're really great in the room. They're really talented. They've never been late, you know, never missed a deadline. And uh, that, that was how I sustained my career for my first 10 years. I didn't even have an agent uh, for the first 10 years of my career for, for animation. It was all strictly uh, word of mouth. Well, Ian, you've gone from animation to live action. It's going to take us to the next part of this panel, which is also how the business has changed so dramatically, because, of course, you're doing an original show for a streaming platform, and that's such a big part of the world that we live in now. You know, if you went back and, and, and looked at all these panels over the years that we've done, uh, you most of the advice you would throw out the window because we were talking about a network television environment that has so dramatically been, uh, uh, you know, uh, in upheaval in the last you know, year or two, uh, and, and, and the, you know, we talk about how hard it is. I think the only person who, uh, is working on 24 episode seasons in this panel is probably, uh, well, Teresa and Derek, uh, everybody else is doing eight to 10 episode orders. And that's kind of the norm. 
Uh, so tell us a little bit about, you know, as, as uh, you know, making that jump from what you were doing uh, and, and to, uh, you know, the world of HBO Max and the flight attendant. Well, I had kind of a similar situation where I was sort of thrown into animation for the first time and really kind of had to learn as I go and didn't understand anything about like what a pipeline was. And uh, it was just me and one other person doing 13 episodes. But luckily, it was the show's third season that we took over. So there was already a great team in place that sort of guided us through that. And, you know, learning how to write for animation, because it was a thing where you, we, you don't have limits, yet you still have only certain sets we could use that were already built from the previous three seasons and only certain props we could use. And you could only rebuild five new props, but it would be, you can take old props and, you know, change the colors so that they look new. And just figuring out how to manage with what you have to work with uh, was a big change of pace. And uh, also learning how to do your workday when your animators are in France and have a very different work day than people in the U.S. do. And uh, um, that was also a huge learning curve. But uh, what's interesting was that I came from the live action I was coming from at Disney Channel, even though it's kids TV, we were doing 25 to 30 episodes a season. And so I still did have that part of like what felt like a normal network schedule. Um, but I think so often, you know, people like to put you in boxes and I was really in this kid's TV box for a while. And so I really had to have a plan with my reps about how to get out of that and how to eventually get to HBO Max. So I have the benefit, I think, of having both a network schedule background, but also this really fast, fast-paced animation background so that dealing with, you know, an eight-episode streaming schedule was actually a relatively easy transition for me. Um, and one that, you know, it just took a long time for me to get to out of the, the Disney world. Yeah. Ian talked about something which I think is a something we've all faced, which is, uh, you know, being pigeonholed. I mean, Gab, for a long time, you were working on a lot of uh, sci-fi shows, you know, and there's that danger... I mean, you were fortunate to break out of it, but um, for a long time where your agents and certainly people are going to hire you only say, oh, she's that sci-fi girl. And then all of a sudden you get Grey's Anatomy and Ugly Betty and, you know, it's all forgotten. Exactly. No one remembered. Well, it was funny because I had no intention of breaking out. I wanted to be the sci-fi girl, but my reps were like, okay, you're going to get pigeonholed. You'll only ever work in sci-fi. And I'm like, okay. And they're, you know, and they were like, well, you know, sci-fi will be as popular forever. I'm like, no, well, but, um, but yeah, so I ended up, you know, being fortunate enough to be able to break out and, you know, it's, I always think it's, you know, kind of ridiculous for people, you know, I'm sure, you know, Ian would feel the same way. It's like you do one, sure, maybe it's like a kid in it, or maybe it takes place here or maybe place take, takes place on Mars, but it's still, the characters are the same. You know, the writing is the same. If you take, um, one of the first pilots, I, I, non-sci-fi pilots I wrote was basically kind of like a northern exposure in the outback of Australia type thing. And the, I gave it to people and they were like, oh, you know, I didn't realize you, you know, wrote stuff other than sci-fi. And I was like, dude, this is the outback of Australia. If it could be Mars, it would be the same exact script, you know? It's 
So I think some of that is changing a lot now, which I'm kind of grateful for. I mean, I think, you know, people are dipping into sci-fi and then coming back out so that it's much easier. You don't feel, you know, as much like you're going to get completely pigeonholed. But, um, but yeah, no, I actually ended up on a completely non-sci-fi show yet again. So, but I keep trying to put a robot in it. So we'll see what happens. But also, I think there's also, there's 500 shows. I mean, yeah. there's, there's just so much stuff where, so much stuff. you know, early, you know, early in our careers, there definitely was the, the fear that being pigeonholed in something was very, you know, it was real kind of way of like, oh, you're just going to be writing the sci-fi shows because that's, and then there's like, oh, well, I'm going to be writing on the sci-fi channel for the rest of my life. Great. You know, and it's just, uh, but now there's like, again, there's people that jump from, you know, half hours to hours, to, you know, sci-fi to drama. I mean, right now, you know, right by we're working on a Western and then our next thing that we'll be working on is called Dragon's Elbow and it's going to be a real fun show. So it's, you know, it's just two different things there. Now, isn't it, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, isn't it true that, you know, because of the 600 shows, uh, and I, I don't know what the, the latest is, I'll have to ask John Landgraf, but the, um, that uh, it's a great opportunity for people with a lot of experience because they're desperate for people who have experience. But at the same time, there's a great opportunity for people who are breaking in, especially if you're a playwright or you have a podcast. Those mm-hmm. th- it seems to be the, the three Ps, and I can't think of the third one, but maybe you can. But the two Ps are playwrights oh, and podcasts and poets. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Amanda Gorman. So um, that's true. Playwrights, uh, podcasters, and poets are, are, are you know, and, and that's a great way to, um, to break in um, uh, because uh, there are great opportunities at the beginning of your career right now. And then there's great opportunities for people who have enough experience um, because there's just so many shows and they need experienced showrunners and Carlton Cuse can't run them all. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's, that's a big opportunity. So let's talk about real quickly um, how the biz- business changed. And then I do want to talk about how COVID has changed the business. And people may say, oh, God, why are you bringing up, you know, COVID? We're at home. We're in, you know, hopefully this is going to end soon. But no, COVID no, we're, has- we're, we're in Dragon Con. Look at Steve. <laughs> I mean, it's like. You're at Dragon Con? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're at WonderCon. I don't know about you. So, um, but, uh, but, you know, it, it, obviously it has, has such a huge impact on, on all of us, uh, and some may be here for the duration, be, even once we're all inoculated and once uh, uh, the pandemic becomes less severe and goes away. I mean, virtual rooms, uh, 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 you know, unfortunately, it does seem like there is um, uh, a lot going on now where uh, um, studios and, and networks are greenlighting shows, getting all the scripts written, and then handing it over to a director and sending the showrunners home, uh, which is disempowering uh, uh, writers who have always been the number one uh, creative influence. And, you know, it's like the people at networks are, are going, hey, we finally can get rid of those pesky writers, you know. Um, but uh, so, so there's some good trends that are happening, but also some worrisome trends, which I'm sure the, the WGA is going to be looking at as well. Um, can you guys speak to um, sort of the, the big changes in the industry and maybe also how the pandemic has impacted what you do? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so the big change is obviously we network TV is not the behemoth that it used to be. Um, which when that first started to change over, when we first started to get streaming shows and, and cable and we, we stopped having to, when we would pitch, they would always say, what's the engine? What happens every week? And then there was a, a sort of glorious period of time when they didn't ask that question. And, I think that 
sort of a problem is that the pendulum has swung too far that way. And I want, I, I'm at the point where I want something, an episode of television that has a beginning, middle, and an end. And I think that when you talk about, you know, a season of television now being a 10-hour movie, which I, just, I do not like that, that description because I think a TV show should be a TV show and a movie should be a movie. Um, I just, I really want that. I want that back. I want that sense of, I am sitting down to watch an hour of television. And actually, um, since Ian is on the flight attendant, I freaking love that show. And that's one of the reasons that I love it is that it feels like a television show. Like I know that I'm watching a television show and it's so fantastic and it's so watchable. Um, I'm excited about shows like that where we are starting to kind of get back to the idea of television. I think it also helps when you're writing a spec because it's so hard to know what pilot to write anymore because you have your reps are telling you they're hearing one thing, but you, the writer, have to write something that you are passionate about that is going to represent who you are. So it's it's very, I think it's very tricky. I'm hoping that the pendulum can kind of swing back to the middle a little bit because I like what network has to offer and I like what streaming has to offer. And I feel like the world is big enough that we should have all of those things as, as options. Well, you know, we've shown a lot of love for uh, a flight attendant. So I think it's only appropriate that we say to Slim, the boys is freaking awesome too, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's, uh, there's so many, um, there's such a plethora of, of, of great shows on. We really are in a, a renaissance. And thank God, because the movie theaters have been closed for a year. So thank God for television. Um, anybody else want to weigh in? I mean, Derek, how do you feel? Uh, I, I mean, particularly somewhere like the CW now, where um, something like Stargirl was commissioned for DC Universe, and then it becomes an HBO Max show. And then, you know, it shows up on the CW and does extremely well for them. It, you know, the whole ecosystem is changing so quickly. Um, it's, you know, it's very surreal every day to think that, you know, we're making television in the middle of a, a global pandemic. <laughs> I mean, like that's, you know, it, it's the, you know, very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, see that shows continue to be made. Like my episode, one of my episodes just got, uh, wrapped up like two weeks ago. Um, so I'm looking at cuts right now for it. Um, and you know, the, 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 the machine just continues to churn, right? Um, and so, I don't know, it's just, it's, I think that what I do like, and as Kay was saying, is that there's different ways to tell, you know, television stories, right? As, as, as far as like shows, because like uh, from Flight Attendant to WandaVision, like WandaVision, I think is another good example of a, you know, a, that first people were like, I want it now, I need every single episode. But now people are starting to realize like, oh, it gives me time to watch an episode, gives me a week to digest it, come up with a hundred different conspiracy theories, talk, you know, like, you know, talk with all my friends about it and then tune in next week to do that, right? Whereas then you have uh, other shows that are gonna be coming out in all, just gonna drop it all at once. Um, there's, you know, and there's other shows that were just such a, a breath of fresh air, like Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso was just such an amazing show that came out last year. And I think it came out at the perfect time as I said, um, you know, because we all became professional television watchers thanks to this pandemic, <laughs> like watching everything, everything. Like, I don't know if I would have necessarily, you know, 
raced home to watch the Queen's Gambit right away. I don't know if that would have been like at the top of my list, but you know, it's like when you're like, oh, I'm going to try this, I'm going to sample this, and you're just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it just sort of, you know, opens you up in that way. And I think that's where we're in a fun time where people are willing to try different things and watch different shows and, and, and get, uh, you know, you get different reactions and stuff like that. And I don't know with like what's going to happen is like as far as where that pendulum is going to swing, because I don't even know if the, there is a pendulum right now. That's the, that's the crazy part. Um, you guys, you guys, uh, what is it? You just finished up the boys, right? The the next season, or are you right in the middle of that, Slim? The the room the room is done, but but we just started production last week. Right. So, barring any sort of complications, i.e., shooting in the middle of a pandemic, I, I mean, it's like <laughs> it's a, you know, it's like we'll be you know be able to watch that and look forward to that. So, I think that, and then you know, as far as network television, they're already starting to ramp up the you know uh the next pilot season they're getting ready to start casting and shooting that and that there's pilots that were shot last year that barely just got shot so it's the the schedule is so all over the place i don't know what what's going to happen and where at the same time i don't think i'm going to really see anybody in person in a in a writer's room until 2023. You know? and when we <laughs> somebody in person we're not getting lunch anymore you guys lunch no. is <laughs> Lunches are gone, and we might not even get lunches offices. for closers. We're not going to get offices there, yeah. <laughs> We're not getting offices. We'll get like a, there was a, a show that was uh, for Netflix that uh, their they had a writers' room, and they had one office for like the EPs, and, but no one else got any any rooms. So they just were there in the writers' room, and then they were gone for. for We've the worked day. on two shows like that before yeah. all of this started, and it, it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> come in. You put your stuff in the corner. You sit in the <laughs> or you just keep your backpack on. <laughs> you know, what scared me early on in the pandemic was when they were figuring out some of the mitigation was like showrunners were considered non-essential personnel on their own sets. Yeah. And that which is outrageous and, and yeah. terrifying at the same time. And I think it's, it's been addressed. But uh, the fact that um, showrunners are not considered because even a show where the writers aren't sent to um, set, I always feel, suffers as a result if there's no one there from the creative side to supervise production. I, uh, I would be really, it was a big battle before COVID, a lot of shows to get the studio to let you send a writer up for uh, for their episode. I, I would venture to say it's probably not going to happen in the future. I think the showrunner will go up. Um, they have this actually amazing software friends of mine are using where you can basically sit like you're sitting down in front of your computer and you it's like you're in video village you're watching the a camera you're watching the b camera you're watching the c camera is it exactly the same i don't know does it mean i don't have to sit in the woods at three o'clock in the morning in the pouring rain it kind of does <laughs> so but it, you know between it, the zoom it, rooms and you know the the software we, we're using a, something called miro and i know there's a, another writer's room software you know, we, they have the boards up and everything. It's it's kind of amazing what Hollywood's been able to put together in less than one year to make what we do pretty similar to what we need to do, but just from the, you know, our- I want to talk about the virtual writer's room, but before yeah. we do that, I want to ask Vijay, um, you know, Ke Kevin Riley famously said, pilots are going to be a thing of the past, you know, uh, and, and, you know, the rumors of the demise were greatly exaggerated uh, because it seems they keep rearing their ugly head no matter how many, how much the networks want to save money, how much they say pilots are dead. But it does seem that the, the, the pandemic has accelerated sort of this 
52 a week uh, year season and straight to series orders. What, what do you think the, the, the future holds for uh, the pilots? You know, it's interesting that you're asking me that because I was I was like, as soon as you brought up this, what does the future hold? I was like, I would like to know. I would very much <laughs> like to know what the future holds. I hope someone here has an answer. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm really I'm kind of surprised that they're shooting a bunch of pilots this year. Like I really thought I was talking with people in our virtual SWAT room end of last year. I was like, they're not going to shoot anything. They're just going to choose some things, go straight to series. They'll actually save money that way instead of spending 10 million a pilot for like things they're not even going to do anything with. I was like, that's what they're going to do. And they're not, they're making pilots. And so I'm not sure if that shows how entrenched certain engines are or certain ways of doing things or thinking are, I'm not sure. Or, or if that's actually a more valuable process than like I think it is. Because honestly, the truth is, and this is just my personal opinion, I think that the broadcast process of making like 20 pilots and picking up seven shows is not the best process because I think that in the end you end up making pilots that aren't even the best pilot because it's a sales document, you know? And so and so I, I, I wouldn't mind if they just picked based on the scripts and the team and a presentation of what the season is or something. So I was kind of, I was okay with that change and that change apparently is not happening at least right now. Well, I think the one thing we can agree on is the French need to stop making such good shows because we're all going to be in trouble if they keep making shows like Lupin and Call My Agent. We're all going to be out of a job. It's like, please stop. Go back to making crappy shows that don't go on the air in America so we can keep supplying the world with our product. Um, I'm, I'm more worried about GPT-3 than, than the French. <laughs> the the the, uh, the algorithm that, uh, oh, that basically mm -hmm. is a deep, was a deep think uh, language learning program. That's scary. Is that I mean, you, that can that write, that. you can write scripts or something, or it's it, it's getting there. <laughs> but you know, everybody has their job and our next job. Year, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I want to ask everybody: How has COVID changed your job? So I want to start with Teresa and work our way through the panel. Oh. Whether it's the right into the virtual writers room, whether it's the lack of camaraderie, the lack of uh, Trader Joe's chocolate covered pretzels in your life, whatever oh, it is, God. tell us uh, tell us about uh, COVID I'm and you. I haven't been to a Trader Joe's in a year. It's real sad. I miss Trader Joe's a lot. Um, I think for me, working in a virtual writer's room, I I took a lot more naps <laughs> during lunch and after work because, you know, when you're in a room, you feed off the energy of the other people and you're, you're getting up to go co get coffee. You take a walk after lunch. You know, you're, you're you know, you're, you feed off of the energy of the room. I love it so much. And when I'm just sitting at my kitchen table, you know, talking at my screen when we all break for lunch, I just want to collapse. And, you know, managing my physical state in a virtual writer's room became a daily challenge of like making sure I'm, you know, alert and ready to, ready to engage. I invested in the blue blocker glasses, like tried to do the afternoon standing. I was all, it was all just techniques of keeping my energy up because I'm just sitting in a comfy chair in my kitchen. So uh, <laughs> we, and you know, our showrunner adjusted our room hours, which became shorter than they were on a, you know, a traditional rooms because when you're on Zoom, you're just so totally engaged. You don't really have the, you know, the spinoff conversations, the walk away, someone, you know, brings cookies down the hall and everyone talks about that for five minutes. Um, so with that total focus, I have total exhaustion afterwards. That was a big thing for me. 
Yeah, I, I totally get that. What about you, VJ? I was muted. Uh, cool. uh, yes. Uh, no, I, I actually, a lot of the stuff that Teresa said uh, would also apply. Like, I, I also feel like, uh, because I, the last, this last SWAT season, we did uh, like two months in person and then it was virtual so I could compare it like real time. And it is more exhausting to be on the screen uh, because you do, there aren't the distractions of being actually around other people. You're like, yes, there will be a few asides, but it's not the same as people coming in and out, you know, taking a little, let's take a break of like being, you're also looking at everyone all the time. It adds to the panopticon effect of anyone could be looking at me at any time. Whereas if I'm in the room, I know, oh, everyone's looking at Sean, he's talking. I can kind of chill, you know, but no, everyone for all I know is looking at me this whole time and your mind kind of knows that. And I think that also is exhausting. And uh, also a weird thing happened. And, and I've said this to a few other people who are like, this is just you, VJ, you're crazy. But I, I felt like after a couple of months, cause we did a good like six months on, on looking at the screen. And after a couple of months of looking at it, it went from at the very beginning, I was like, oh, everyone's at their home and I'm talking to them. And it's like when you talk to someone on the phone, you're imagining where they are and I'm imagining this person to you guys only exist on my screen. It was like it was it was an actual weird change of I started to feel like I was just talking to the screen instead of talking to people in their homes who are also looking at a screen, if that makes any sense. So that's my two cents on that. <laughs> and Gab, you are in the unenviable well, position of having started a show where you couldn't even meet your staff in person. You, I was going to say off what VJ said. Literally, I don't think any of my writers exist in real life because I've <laughs> met, I know I, I, I met with them, you know, interviewed them, hired them. They're in the room with me every day. No idea if they're real because I've never seen them in real life. And that includes my partner on the series. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. It's it's a very it's a very different thing. I think uh, Vijay's totally right about just not only are you just constantly looking at people, but you're looking at yourself, which for me is the most horrifying part of it. The three <laughs> the three careers that are going to make out like gangbusters when this is over is real estate agents. So you can get out of that house you never want to see again. Divorce lawyers, so you can get rid of that spouse you never want to see again. And plastic surgeries, so you can figure out what the frick happened to my neck. Okay? Because <laughs> Zoom is just all about everyone staring at their own necks. <sighs> but um, it's but it's that has been really hard. And the, the weird thing I missed too is sidebars. We've tried to set it up so we can do that, you know, where we can have Side two rooms. writers go off into like a different room. Because especially like we're on a very, very, very serialized show. It's, it's hard, you know, you need like those two writers to be kind of like talking, you know, much more closely. And normally yeah. like, they're kind of down at the end of the room, you know, talking about it or they meet up in the kitchen and they're like, oh, by the way, I'm going to have Bob like propose to Mary here. No, you can't do that. I'm doing that in my episode. You know, mm -hmm. it's all that stuff that kind of naturally happens that we don't really have a place yeah. for on Zoom. Yeah. Um, so that's really kind of been the trickiest thing. I will say, though, that the writer's board programs are pretty awesome. You create these cards and everything. You can move them around. No one needs good handwriting. <laughs> oh. still, Speaking of good handwriting. <laughs> you still need to know how to do the Miro, though. I can't stand Miro. Cause I don't I'm know how to do it. I'm my writer's assistant. I'm like, yeah. go, go, with, go, with go do it. Uh, I want to ask Slim because it was the second season you broke in a, in a room and third season you did virtually. Um, how do you compare it? 
I mean, Dude, I, I honestly, I think I feel like I'm probably the only one here. Um, I really enjoy the virtual room. I, I enjoy it so much more than the actual room. And maybe that's just the, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm not quite sure, but all I can say is when it's everybody on there, everybody has to be on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there isn't the, you know, that one person in the room is kind of like taking up all the space and, and some people get insecure and they just get kind of get small in their seats. Um, and I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think it's great because you don't have to, to drive. <laughs> you know, I'm in traffic for an hour yes, breath, but I'm not listening yes. to as much audiobooks as I used to. You would that. say that. I remember when you got in a car accident on the way to yeah, Fox. I hate driving in LA. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't, you know, so you, you know, so that hour, you know, hour and a half, however far you are in the morning, then an hour, hour and a half, you know, you, you get into the office, you're grumpy because like arr, arr, driving sucks and four or five and the 101 then you have to kind of like deal with that and then finally you kind of get into the rhythm whereas your home i can read more you know what i mean i can catch up on what's going on with character what's going on with whatever themes that we're doing i can read an article in the atlantic and be like oh guys you know, i just check this out you know what i mean there's just so much more time and i'm a new dad i can spend time with my kid mm -hmm. you know what i mean i get to hear him screaming and as he's growing up, we're check in, you know, and and to me, that's the future. Um, yes, I, I know, like a, a lot of uh, a lot of people, it's like, oh, we need that that thing in the room. But we were scared. We started the room. I think we had about two months in the actual physical writers' room, and then we transitioned, and we were very scared that we wouldn't have the sort of talking over each other and everything because of the technology. And then you real, then slowly but surely. You just develop that habit and you mm -hmm. kind of fall into that rhythm of, oh, you know, if you speak over someone, it's not like the audio is going to cut out unless everybody's talking at once, like one of those family Zooms, which is always a nightmare. You or WonderCon I mean? panels. <laughs> exactly. Well, everybody's, everybody's <laughs> behaving pretty well, but I think it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's the way of the future. I think in terms of a career, the amount of meetings that you can have are so much more and people are just everywhere. You know what I yeah. mean? Even the project that I'm working on, the animators are like in the countryside of like outside of, of London. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and it can happen. Whereas before, you know, setting up a, an in-person meeting or whatever was just a big pain. Yeah. And okay, what do you think, Kay? I don't um, know. Well, like like a couple people, we started our when when I was on Motherland, we started in person. And then we went to uh, the Zoom room. And the very first thing we did on day one is we shut our video off. Because we, we all were like, no, <laughs> we do not want to see each other. This is a nightmare. Um, we felt like it was a little bit easier because we had known each other. I don't know what it would be like if you're getting started with people you hadn't been in a room with. Mm. Um, but we also, our show was very... Um, there's a ton of world building to it and it's also a soap at the same time and we didn't use a program we just used google docs which was impossible i mean our assistants just went above and beyond to make it work and to keep everything updated but you can't it's so hard to look at the screen and see the board 
uh, see the episode boards, see the see the season boards, see the mythology, to see all of that stuff. It was really, really hard. And we also were completely exhausted. So we would work, you know, 10 to four um, and feel like, oh God, we're not getting anything done. We got so much more done, but we were so much more exhausted. Um, I think the one thing that's going to come out of this is nobody is going to want to wear hard pants ever again. Yep. I was going to say, the number one advantage was you could wear sweatpants every day. Yep. Great. Nobody's wearing hard pants ever again. Just to follow on that, I, I basically started my new show the week after uh, we locked down here in LA last March. And it was my first time really running a room or running a room for my EP. And it was a small room. We only had six of four writers, an EP and a writer's assistant. And then we added another writer later. Um, it was, I, I don't miss the commute at all. I don't miss commuting to a writer's room. I do miss goofing around in the room and putting on a YouTube video and, you know, going out to lunch and all that fun stuff. I, I miss the social stuff, but like Kay was saying, I feel like we got so much more work done because there are no distractions and mm -hmm. we wanted to spend as little time as possible. Uh, <laughs> after a while, it, yeah, the, it just got so exhausting being looking at the windows all day long that I kind of changed our schedule. So we would, we would be on for two or three hours in the morning, starting nine 30 or 10. And we'd break for lunch for like an hour and a half. I go for a walk and you know, whatever. And then we'd reconvene for another couple hours in the afternoon. And then I, I basically did it every other day. We'd only meet like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I would say Tuesday, Thursday is independent study where everyone works on your own. So you can have that alone time as a writer to focus and, and pitch, you know, generate ideas to come to the room with the next day or, or problem solve. And I felt that that really helped energize people in our room that, that kept us kept us going. It, it really helped ameliorate the exhaustion factor. The and exhaustion I, factor is, is real. I mean, it's like yeah. medical science. They say, they say yeah. it is. They are, the only good thing that could really come out of this is, I know some of you and, and maybe all of you have been in those like 20 hour a day rooms, you know, because your boss like is in the middle of a divorce or, you know, whatever. And he just wants everyone to sit there all day. Those just can't happen on Zoom anymore. I mean, just it just can't happen. So I think our days may become a little more civilized in the future. And, yeah. and I'll address a question I've gotten a lot from people on Twitter, from pre-WJ writers, like this question of now that a lot of writers rooms are virtual. Does that mean I can break in without having to move to LA? Can I stay in Cincinnati or in Florida and still break in? And no. You know, everyone <laughs> everyone wants to know, but I feel like that the really the answer to that goes back to it's just really hard to break in. It's hard to break in. And the virtual rooms will it might take away one factor of access, but you know, breaking into TV, it's still a combination of who you know, relationships you build you know, connections that you make at networking events or through meetings and all of those things still have to, you know, come together for you to be able to have, get, you know, have the training and the connections for when that opportunity comes through. Um, I know that all the writing fellowships are now virtual. I feel like in that, that's, that's an advantage. So you don't have to be in LA to apply and do the CBS Writers Program. But for the question of, you know, whether, all rooms would be virtual going forward. I don't know the answer. Like you guys said, we don't know the answer, but um, 
it'll be probably on a show by show basis, but LA, I feel like is still going to be the place you need to be to but break in. Just to, yeah, to, to break yeah, on the show, the EP on my show, uh, he, Grant, he's had a 30 plus year career in this, in this business and has won many Emmys and all that. He lives in Maine. He lives out in the sticks yeah. in Maine and he did the entire show. He hasn't been to LA in over a year. He just, he just comes on the screen from his house in Maine and, you and know. he has been in the business for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> he's yes. not he's not the pre-EP. He's yes. not the pre-P. Uh, I, so I, I really have, like, look, my life changed almost not at all because of, of COVID, except for some production issues with doing records with actors, which suddenly took four times as much time. But that's a completely different, like, side niche issue of animation. The, the weird thing that I experienced was um, doing development uh, I've been, you know, doing development on um, a, a television adaptation of Myst, right? And I ended up having a lot more FaceTime with the game developers, uh, with the Miller brothers, weirdly enough. Um, and, you know, we would have, like, meetings twice a week that otherwise we could not have had because they were in Spokane, Washington. Um, and it turned out to be really good, but also very weird. Okay, so I know you guys think, like, man, I had this really, you know, it's just weird, like, being on Zoom and looking at people's faces and shit, and they're, like, looking back at me, like, and what's happening? Let me tell you something. When the man you're having a meeting with on Zoom, that face on the screen is the guy who plays Atris in Mist, who just looked at you, like, his face on a screen on a book page. Like, you have, like just real like serious cognitive dissonance issues. You wake up every morning wondering what the is real and if it's actually happening. So um, so Zoom has really messed with my head a little bit. Just a, just a little bit. Yeah. For me, the, the, the it was the production side that was so awful because every day we tested the cast and crew for COVID, it was like a sort of Damocles hanging over. Mm-hmm. You didn't know when the test came back, you know, who was going to have it? Was anyone going to have it? We're going to have to shut down. It was so stressful. And and you know by conversely when you get the test back and everyone was was fine everybody was negative um, you know it was wonderful it was wonderfully liberating and you'd have a great day until you did it all over again um, but it also made you know production less fun you know um, because everyone's sitting around in mass and we had less location days and you know it really screwed around with like the extras because we had all all these different groups of extras that had to be tested. And if somebody was found, you know, in, in that, you'd have to let them go. And it was just, it, 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 it took a lot of the joy out of producing um, because it, it's just, you know, all look, and I'm not comparing, I'm not saying, look, people are dying. Uh, you know, this is a horrible thing. So I, I'm not saying, well, you know, we got it bad, but you know, uh, I'm just saying in the context of what we're talking about, um, producing uh, film and, you know, look, I went to, um, to prep our second season uh, last March and, and and everything shut down and I came back and, you know, got coronavirus on the way back from Europe. So like that was not particularly great. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it's, 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 it's really challenging producing in this environment. We had a lot of cast that didn't want to travel guest stars that didn't want to travel uh, and, you know, to their credit, I mean, nobody's begrudging them that, uh, but it does make the actual physical act of, of, of producing television that much more complicated, not to mention it adds about 10% to the budget of every episode, which is fine if you're, you know, a $15 million show for Netflix or for, you know, CBS or whether it's really, you know, The Mandalorian, it's, it's okay. But if you're a smaller show with a smaller budget, it can be very, very challenging. 
to find that money for testing and and mitigation and cleaning. And, you know, quite honestly, it clearly didn't go into the food because the food has gotten a lot worse because we don't do buffet eating anymore. It's all in these little pre-packs and it, yep. it's the worst. It's, it's like uh, K-rations in the military, I would guess. <laughs> So there's no um, craft at all now. There's no craft service. There's no table where I can go and eat a donut and justify it. It's all prepackaged food. Oh, I think you get a donut in an individual wrapper. Yeah. Hey, the, Mark, just curious. Was that regular coronavirus or was that dragon's coronavirus that you got? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> too too soon. Stop. <laughs> more more dragon's stuff. Just because Ashley and Steve have a hit show on Netflix right now. Dota Dragon's Fire. They can be very proud of it. <laughs> he did it again. I love it. Dragon's Domain. Um, just uh, check it out. Um, Dragons don't leave. I, I, I can hear Pete's Dragon. Now the I don't Dragon know. got his groove back. <laughs> so I, 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 before we wrap up, and I, I, we could go on for so long, um, and I'm really disappointed that we can't, but uh, even like the real WonderCon, we there there are limits on how long we we can go. And I see like the guy with the sign. I'm having flashbacks. Like PTSD. So five minutes, five minutes. You're over. You're over. So I, I want to ask you as we wrap up, if you could tell me one, uh, so your social media handle, if people want to follow you. Also, maybe what you're watching and. Um, uh, just leave us with a, a final thought. Um, and then I also want to tell the audience that um, uh, this is, you know, when this drops on um, at the end of March, we're going to do, uh, and we'll see how this works for whoever wants to participate. We're going to do it inside the writer's room clubhouse on Sunday, March 27th at seven Eastern, 10 Eastern, uh, seven Pacific standard time, 10 Eastern time on Sunday, March 27th. We're going to do it inside the writer's room clubhouse, which is, Great. If you want to join, some of the panelists will be there. Um, and if you have questions about um, what we're uh, writing and stuff we didn't answer, we can have uh, uh, th that would be great. Um, also, I want to remind you that Ashley and Steve's new um, uh, podcast, uh, Cartoon Fire, um, Cartoon Barroom, is uh, now available for download, or you can watch on the Electric Now channel. And uh, you know, we're, we're absolutely thrilled about the hopefully seeing you all in person at San Diego, if not this year, certainly next year. Maybe we'll just do a very big Zoom with all 100,000 people and it'll be, uh, you know, like uh, like a writer's room. We'll show you what it's like. So um, and then if you have a question for another writer on this panel. So I want to know your social media, what you're watching. And if you have a question for somebody else, we'll start with Teresa. Oh, my social is at Teresa Palooza. Uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, what am I watching? I just finished Ted Lasso in a 24 hour period and, and uh, just started I May Destroy You, which I'm excited and terrified about because it's triggering for women. Uh, and what's the third question? Do I have a question for- So is Ted Lasso for men. Those, you know, those guys are really good <laughs> athletes. And for some of us who are not so great at soccer or football, it's it's very difficult to watch. No, I love Ted Lasso is fantastic. Ted, I'm not saying that because we all love Chris Parnell and Apple. I'm saying it because it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, I it's couldn't wonderful. believe how good it was. Yeah, I was resisting watching Apple for a while because I'm like, oh, am I really going to pay for another streaming service? But I will pay for that forever just to watch Ted Lasso. Yeah. So, uh, Teresa, any questions for one of our esteemed panelists that they're going to answer right now? I think I answer right now because we don't, we don't, we don't get to do Q and A because there's no audience out there except through the, in the ether. So I'm going to let you ask a question. Uh, it's a lightning round. Okay. It's okay. a lightning round. 
Well, <laughs> since we have a wonderful, uh, diverse panel of uh, writers here, I'll, I'm going to ask a question about diversity and inclusion, which is what are some of the uh, wins and things that you're excited about? I'm going to keep it positive. The wins that you've seen during this time and the things that you are uh, pos feel positive about going forward in terms of diver diversity, inclusion, and equity in the TV writers room. I'm excited because I know it's not a science genre show, but our writers room is like almost all women, which is super exciting. And I have not been on that probably since like Grey's Anatomy. I mean, you know, just for no reason. And and by the way, I, I also think for genre, some of it is, you know, self-selecting, you know, I, I think it's obviously stereotypical, but I think a lot of them don't want to work much, you know, in genre shows. But when I started out, like I was just like the lone girl in every room, you know, when we were talking about spaceships and alien abduction. So I'm excited that, that is, you know, I think it's, it's changing more. It's been slowly changing over the years, but I feel like it's kind of gunning towards the future a little faster. Okay. Anyone else want to answer Teresa's question before we sure. uh, move on to? Yeah, I'm, I'm, tell no, us no, all I about diversity. Like, yeah, no, no. I, I uh, <laughs> personally, like, I'm pretty happy about the fact that I can build a show that, like, and I think by the time now that everybody has seen it, they realize it is actually rather than kind of built around a, uh, a male action hero is actually built around several female action heroes and it can be embraced uh, in the way that it is. And, um, and, and that I can build on that and have the opportunity to build on that. Uh, I, you know, I, there's a, there's a time when it's like, you're making animation and I'm, you know, Steve could probably answer that one where it's like, well, you've got, got to remember like the boys in the audience are the ones who buy the toys. And yeah, I, I never got to, well, think about the demos. <laughs> and, and um, I'll just I'll just add to that the show that I'm working on now that hasn't been announced yet and won't be coming until 2022. Uh, it's been really fun because this this particular show has um, a great variety of, of representation in it. We have you know uh, gender non-conforming characters and and uh, other sexualities and all different sort of racial representations. It's really exciting and uh, and uh, it it's it's makes it. I know it's very different and inclusive and I'm really excited about it. I got, I got to say that um, for me, it's, it's, it is cool, but it's also, it's just like, well, wouldn't you want your writer's room to look like America and the rest of the world? You know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's, it's much richer storytelling. There are things that I learn about from the like LGBTQ community that I'm like, Oh, I never considered that. You know what I mean? And, or, or this community or this side, or even from white guys, you know, like, oh, wow, that's, 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 that's pretty cool in, in Idaho. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I, I think it's great. And, I, and it, to me, I feel like I don't understand why it's taken this long. You know, I was watching some, I think I was watching on HBO Max, the, the uh, Fresh Prince reunion. And they were like, the writer's room was all white. And I was like, what? The, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, I think it's, again, I, I think uh, we're moving into really great, great spaces. And even like with I May Destroy You, you know, to, to see that voice, that unique voice and perspective come out and make such an incredible show. I, I, I think that's the great thing about there being so many avenues for, for content. Great. Uh, Vijay, so the question is social media um, and to what you're watching. And if you have a question for someone else on the panel. Uh, social media is just my name, Vijay Boyd on Twitter. It's really the only one that I have public. And then, uh, 
Uh, I've been catching up on Search Party because I didn't even know there was a third and fourth season uh, or that they were on HBO Max. I, I really have been out of it as far as knowing what TV shows are around. I love Search Party. I love the first two seasons. Just uh, about to finish season three and then I'll just binge season four. Although binging for me is like over the course of like three weeks. I know I can't do it in a day. And my question is actually for Teresa because it goes to the very first question you asked, Mark, about how to get that next job. And am I correct, Teresa, that you were actually a staff writer and night writer in like 08? So there was yes. a big gap between that and SEAL Team. And I was curious if that was a choice or like uh, just to hear about your perseverance in keeping at it, the writing part. I know you're acting oh, sure. uh, then. So I just want to hear about what that was and, and what that was like. Oh, sure. That's like the the, the dirty secret I try not to, <laughs> to bring up. But uh, I, I used to write with a writing partner. So uh, she and I staffed on Knight Rider together a million years ago. And right after the show was canceled, we split. And, you know, for those in the audience who don't know, when you're in a writing partnership, you are one entity to the studios and networks. You get paid, you share one salary, you are hired and fired together. And all of our writing samples that we had spent years working on, you know, when we split, they all became, you know, dust. And I had to start over. And I think I... I uh, in I had a lot of, uh, you know, she and I were very symbiotic. You know, she was very good at character and dialogue. I was very good at plot and structure. Um, but I had to learn to strengthen all those muscles on my own after that. So it took me many years to do that, continue writing, continue writing pilots and specs, applying to the programs. Um, and, and then just, you know, decided to give my acting career <laughs> one last one last push, and I and I concentrated on that with my writing. Um, but then once I once I started working as a writer's assistant uh, again to try to break into TV as a solo writer, I put my acting career on hold. Not everyone has to do that. I do know a lot of uh, TV writers who are still pursuing their acting, but I just put that on hold because I'm like I got I'm I want back in having tasted it, you know, having been on set and watched people say words that I wrote. Uh, I wanted to get back in there. So I just kept going and I, would, I wouldn't take no for an answer. Every year I would apply to the programs and get rejected from all, from all of them. And I just kept going, kept going because I wanted to get back in. So whether it was perseverance or just stubbornness because I'm a Taurus, who knows? But that's what I did. I, I want to say on behalf of Derek and Kay and myself, we all have writing partners and it's a very different way of approaching uh, and we're all very lucky. I think we all have great writing partners that we love working with, and that can be uh, very, you know, very liberating. And I think um, we all have uh, people who are very different than us, but that makes it that makes it fun. And uh, you know, but they're not on the panel because then this would be a, a five-hour panel instead of a three-hour <laughs> panel. So um, we we have to limit it. So I knew Kay before I knew Eric. I knew Eric before I knew Ben, and I knew myself before I knew Steve Grazier. But I want to give them all a shout out, even though they're not on this panel. Okay. Gab, tell us uh, social media, where people can follow you, uh, what you're watching, not what you're wearing, and uh, where, uh, and a question for someone else on the um, I am at TV Gab, uh, TV and then Gab. Um, it's funny, I was trying to think, like, you know, obviously I'm trying to get through all the fabulous things we need to be watching, but I'll tell you what my little guilty pleasure is recently, because only because I'm surprised that I like it so much, because it, it apparently was very difficult creatively, but Snowpiercer, I'm enjoying it. It's a cool world. I'm kind of obsessed with just the train part of it. 
And um, and it's one of those things that does drop every week. And I kind of like, oh, I wonder if Snowpiercer dropped yet, you know? So I'm, I'm kind of liking it. So I'm enjoying that. Um, and actually, Mark, my question is to you, just out of curiosity. Um, you want to know about my you, new book? Nobody does it better. About, you new about the history of the James Bond movies, now in paperback, but also still available in hardcover, audio, and digital. Sorry, go uh, ahead. <laughs> Uh, did you when because you had mentioned it earlier when you were doing uh, when you were producing you know uh, with the COVID the testing and everything did you have pods on set and if so what did pod did they put you and Steve in as the writers? Well, you know we had a, our show was a, a fairly you know low low budget show. We did have have pods, but since you know um, we we were sort of removed from that. We were footloose and fancy free. We could go wherever we wanted. Just go wherever you wanted. Yeah, but we. Um, because that's the only way I would allow it to happen. Well, um, coming up, you know, we're going to be shooting in June. I'm hoping things are going to be a little bit different. But um, the whole, like, you know, uh, what is it? Like, not right to work, but whatever that do giant document that all the unions put together, you know, for the testing and everything, there are no writers in it. And we appear to not exist in, in terms of mm -hmm. the DGA, SAG, the Editors Guild, or anyone, Team Sirs. I, w I will say the thing that they used to clean COVID on the hour, it was this really futuristic looking weird device. So at one point, uh, I thought the set deck was not good. So I said, go get that COVID thing and bring it in here. And they said, what are you talking about? Um, is, is there a problem? And we cleaned it like a half hour ago. Are you worried about Corona? No, no, I want it to be set deck in here because it looks futuristic and it will help make this office look more futuristic if we just put the COVID thing in here. And so it ended up going into the- uh, into <laughs> That would be the big trivia question for like next season, like who noticed it back there? That's know? why you need showrunners on set. Like, this, like because... the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones, you know? Someone will be like, wait a minute, did they forget to take that out? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean I I I have told this story before, but it's like you know we filmed somewhere where English is a second language for a lot of the crew. So at one point, uh, the prop master comes to me with this really scary looking device, and he goes, um, "Is this the avuncular disposition?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "The avuncular disposition for the for the scene." where he, he he loses his avuncular disposition. I said, I started laughing. And he's like, I said, that's when somebody stops being friendly and, and starts to be, uh, you know, angry and a dick. I, I'm nice. I didn't say that. But I did say I started laughing. And um, I, I said, no, avuncular disposition is just an expression in English. Uh, it has nothing to do with it. It's not a prop. But it was, it was very funny. So those are did some he charge you $50,000 to build that prop? <laughs> no, 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 thankfully not. <laughs> I, thankfully not. Okay, so um, what are you watching, Gab? Snowpiercer. Is, is, oh, yeah, is that's, right, that's right. <laughs> but on, on HBO Max, not on TNT. And other things. Actually, I'll say just before we go to sleep at night, my husband and I, because COVID has been so hard, we've really taken solace in old like sitcoms, and we're now up to the third season of Cheers, and it is still so good. It's just so funny and just so sharply written. So I would recommend that. And it doesn't. I agree. Uh, but I, I can't watch uh, Kirstie Alley anymore after the ridiculous I haven't even gotten to Kirstie Alley yet. So, okay. So, That's great. You can roll right into Frasier after that. Yeah, it's, it's a reason you know, reading my mind here. That's exactly if there's doing. another season of WandaVision, maybe you'll see it on that. Okay, so um, Slim, what about you? Uh, tell us where people can follow you, um, what you're watching, and uh, a question for someone else on the panel. Uh, they could follow me, uh, IG and Twitter, Anselm Asylum. Um, 
uh, and on, C- on Clubhouse. Just find me, either Slim or Anson Richardson. Um, not that I'm watching currently, but uh, I really loved um, Primal on HBO Max. That was used to be on Cartoon Network. I just thought it was just brilliant. Um, Fargo season four, um, uh, The Crown, and uh, I May Destroy You were probably like the ones that I really enjoyed in the last few months. Um, the question I have actually is for um, Ashley and Steven. Um, you guys have talked about like with, with animation, you do like a partial scripts and handoff. And then you had also said something about, you know, you don't have to do C and D stories. And, and is that a, a normal thing with animation or can you do C and D or have there been any, any animation series or, or whatever that's well, done? You it's know, funny. I, I, cause I said that I don't do that, but the, the truth of the matter is that, that occasionally, I do, but it's a scene, right? It's, look, the, the reality, and everybody who works in one hour live action, like if you were being 100% honest, knows that in nearly every episode, there are a couple of scenes that you write that are total effing bullshit. And if you had the power to just cut them to make your episode better, you fucking would. And if you sat down in every show that you love that's an hour long and you watch it, you'd probably go, don't really need that. Don't really need that. Don't really need that. That's all the crap that I cut out, right? Um, and it's just about, you know, because I only have so much real estate, it's it was really about just focusing on the, the characters who matter the most. And if I needed, you know, a C story, it was really about a scene that kind of jumped into a POV that kind of helped me tell some part of the some part of the A story. There just there, there just isn't there isn't room to do it. You can try it. Uh, it's it just that it's it, it ends up feeling like really like like the pace just ends up feeling super wrong. Every once in a while, Archer, so Archer episodes will have a um, like a B story. They'll cut away exactly what Ashley's saying to like a different POV. But it's not every episode. It's usually one or two scenes, which makes me think they were running short. <laughs> Ian, social media. What are you watching? And what are you asking a panelist on this panel? Uh, my IG is just uh, my name, Ian Weinrich, and uh, right now I'm watching, I'm about to start season two of Servant. I just binged season one um, and liked it more than I thought I would. Is that the M. Night Shyamalan yeah. thingy? Wow. Very creepy. Chris Parnell will be very happy to hear this. <laughs> um, and I guess my question would be for anyone, so timing-wise with us, which was really weird, was that our room ended before the pandemic. We were filming when we got shut down. And our season two room is starting next week. So I have not done the Zoom room at all yet. So this will be me going in for the first time. So, and uh, I guess I'm just curious if anyone has had like something embarrassing pop up behind them or behind one of their other writers that really made you kind of cringe <laughs> that I could be able to look out for. Just be careful about wearing your glasses. Because I can right. see what you're looking at. <laughs> so, so sometimes you can tell somebody's playing a game on their computer. People know better now, but that would be yeah. what the one thing to look at sure. for, for me, anyway. <laughs> Ian, I can almost guarantee that if any of the writers have either a pet or a child, they will make it into the, the Zoom room at some point. <laughs> yes, and don't put on a filter of yourself as a. A bunny? What was that? The, oh, the cat. That? A cat. Yeah. A cat. Yeah. Not a cat. I'm not a cat. <laughs> okay. Um, also, well, good luck other, with that. And well, get it going is, soon. Yeah, the other thing is make sure that you're mute when you're mute. Because <laughs> yes. yeah. that's 
that could be embarrassing, especially if you get like another phone call or you you got to pee. Yeah, yep. (laughs) You let one rip. (laughs) I was on the other screen with Jeffrey Tubin that day. (laughs) (laughs) Never gets old, Slim. (laughs) Okay, well, we're very excited about flight attendant season two, at least speaking for myself. I can't wait. Um, Okay. Um, So that brings us to Kay. Kay, tell us where people can follow you. Uh, what you're watching, and uh, what question would you like to ask a member of this esteemed panel? Uh, Topic3 on Twitter. Uh, I don't do any of the other ones that all the kids do. Uh, I am watching Money Heist, which is so much fun. And also, if you're going to rob a bank, rob a bank in Spain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it's very fun. And I don't actually have a question for these fine panelists, which is my gift to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ashley, we go to you. Okay. What, what, uh, what, are you, what are you watching? We know what you're making, making a show yeah. about dragons Fucking for dragons. Netflix. And uh, uh, what do you want to ask? You can, uh, first, you can follow me at Ashmaster Zero, spell the zero. Um, I, you know, because, you know, I've got an 11 year old and actually none of these, half of these shows are not appropriate for an 11 year old, but I, I've been watching a lot of things that I realize have a theme. Um, like some of my favorite are things that I've really enjoyed either recently or in the last year, Wayne on Amazon prime, which is amazing. Uh, Cobra Kai on now on Netflix, which is amazing. Um, Alex Ryder, which was really good and surprised me. I watched that with my kid. It was like on IMDb TV. Like, who the F knew? Um, and and this is going to bring me to my question. And I just finished binge-watching both seasons of The Boys. My question is to Slim. Slim, can Homelander really do whatever he wants to do? <laughs> can he do whatever he wants to do, Slim? And on a skyscraper. On a skyscraper. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. As, as well you should. Ashley, you're not watching Cartoon Barroom on the Electric Now app? In fact, I am. I'm watching all the offerings on, ele- <clears throat> on the Electric Now app. I'm watching Inglorious Trexperts and 430 Movie and a podcast that does not star any of us, The Best Movies Never Made, with screenwriter <laughs> Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta. Fantastic. Gold star <laughs> for you. Okay, Derek Hughes, tell us what you're watching, where to find you on social media, and a question for one of your peers here on the panel. Uh, you can find me on uh, D Black and Ease, Twitter, IG, and Clubhouse. Uh, watching, like I said, Ted Lasso, huge Ted Lasso stand. All my, my uh, fellow Blurds, shout out to them. They all know who they are. Uh, we're all big Ted Lasso stands. Um, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai, seasons one and two, amazing. Season three, I'm trying. Um, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm being distracted or what, uh, but uh, I'm getting back into that. Um, and then WandaVision, it's been, been so much fun to watch that. And I think, you know, it's just going to be the year of Marvel. I'm, you know, I'm a Marvel kid through and through. So you got WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier is coming up, and then Loki. I mean, that's just all before the summer. So... <laughs> Right there. Who needs a who needs a movie theater, right? I keep um, calling it Falcon in the Winter Snowman. And I keep catching I'm like Falcon I, I, in the Winter so Fireman. annoying because of that Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Timothy, <laughs> Timothy uh question is for everyone here. 
Um, if you had a choice, would you rather work with Ashley on Dota Dragon's Blood or with Mark Altman on Dota's Dragon's Bad Breath? <laughs> oh, I think we man. all know the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, no, terrible. my real question is my real question for everybody is because, like, uh, you know, I think someone else brought it, uh, people who are wanting to break into this business, and because we're in such a strange time to break in this business, if you started out today, do you think that you would be able to break into the business the way that you did when you first started out a long time ago? No. Or, you know, <laughs> right? That's terrifying. Uh, dude, I insulted somebody on <laughs> on AOL. So no, absolutely <laughs> would not be able to pull that off again. Um, no, because I mean, I think it was, you know, it's meeting people, it's networking. And, you know, you can, you can meet, run into someone, a friend of yours in a restaurant and they're having dinner with someone else. And then all of a sudden, like, you can have a conversation. I mean, they, they should have some kind of Zoom thing. We could just randomly go on and like just see who's there or something. I don't know how you recreate that. Oh, what's it like that? What's <laughs> the, the Omegle? You ever seen that where people basically, it's almost like, it's, it's like a newer version of like chat roulette. But if they did that for like writers where you just get on there and then people just pop up like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, I, a great I, idea. <laughs> I think in a universe where you can't schmooze, because you know we're in a life it'd be almost impossible for certainly for 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 the the uh what do they call us the uh the golden age writers here uh you know um without you know schmoozing and meeting with uh introverts <laughs> running into people and going to lolas and uh yeah. and 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 dealing with investors i mean i i i can't see it i think yeah, I, you know. I, like i would say because i think one thing that's happened is that breaking in has gotten kind of backwards for people. So they're focusing so much on, you know, contacts and mm -hmm. contests and all the stuff that the most important thing people can focus on to break in is their writing. Mm -hmm. They have to, because if you meet somebody, if you're on writer roulette and, and Carlton Cuse is on there and he says to you, great, I'd love to read something. And you don't have your best script that you can give him. That's it. Yeah. That's your shot. Yeah. yeah. So I think it really is like you sit down and write stuff and don't worry about all of the other crap that's, that's surrounding this business. But I think part also of being a great writer is having life experience and being able to incorporate that experience into your writing. And I think one of the biggest challenges with the pandemic is we're not evolving. We're not having many, I mean, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but you're not, you know, you're, I'm certainly not like traveling and yeah. having new experiences and meeting new people and going new places. Um, what are you talking about? I travel every day from my kitchen to the living room. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting lots of experience off of that. I mean, you are not going to watch my short film of me going to Ralph's every Thursday. What, you don't use Instacart? Are you crazy? I use Instacart in a year. Well, I'll, um, I'll offer some optimism for, for the writers out there breaking in. The one thing I will say about this time, it, there's two things I, would, I will say about this time. One is that for all of the horror that Twitter has been for the last four years, I feel like writer Twitter has, has been wonderful and it's just mm. getting better. Like you have access to showrunners you have access to everyone on this panel who's on Twitter. 
you know, and I've had wonderful interactions with emerging writers who have questions or they, you know, they respond really thoughtfully to something I posted. And it's like, you can create connections just on Twitter by being, you know, kind and normal, please. Uh, but the other thing, <laughs> yeah. but the, the other wonderful thing, oh, and also with Twitter, there's a lot, you can learn a lot. You can, it's like having access means if you ask the right questions, if you really are not sure what to do with this aspect of your script, or you're not sure how to handle this challenge in the industry, you can get an answer from people who are actually in the industry. It's, it's, it's been wonderful watching, you know, how much support there is for emerging writers on Twitter. Cool. And the no, other no, thing that, way. oh, go ahead. Go ahead son. I was just saying Clubhouse is the same. It's the same thing. And it's only going to grow as they yeah. start to let more people in. I yeah. think Clubhouse is great. That's why we're going to try and do this on Clubhouse this weekend um, to sort of see um, if we can do. And this was actually Chris Parnell's idea to try and do um, like a writer's uh, Clubhouse maybe, you know, once a month and starting with, uh, you know, a, a sort of live post show to this never ending panel. Uh, speaking of which, which brings me to um, uh, Steve, uh, Steve, Steve Melching. And this may be the first panel we've ever done where everyone isn't hung over. So virtual comic <laughs> yes, WonderCon is, is actually a pretty good thing. Um, so Steve Melching, what are you watching uh, what's your social media handle and what do you want to ask someone on this panel? <laughs> well, social media is just uh, at Stephen Melching on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, but I've never really posted there. Maybe I'll change that. And I am on Clubhouse, but I haven't used it yet. But uh, maybe this will be the, the weekend to try it out. Uh, I am, I'm using, I've been using the pandemic time to catch up on things that I've never seen before, like gaps, filling in gaps, watched a lot of movies that I've never seen. I've revisited a lot of movies that I haven't seen in 20, 30 years. Um, and a show I'm watching right now that I missed was uh, The Expanse. Uh, I've missed that show. I'm in season two now, so I know I've got a few more seasons to get through, but uh, I'm enjoying it. Um, so good. I'm also watching a show, another show that I miss, a comedy called Party Down, which is a, a silly comedy oh, Party show Down's on great. stars. Oh, it's so funny. And uh, I'm just going to put in a quick plug for another a Comedy Central show called Review. Uh, that's a really funny show about this guy that reviews life experiences. It's, it's a hidden gem. Uh, as far as a question goes, uh, Derek kind of asked my question, but I guess mine is kind of an adjunct to that, which is, this is, we talked about how this really is a business of relationships. And in this era of COVID, we're not randomly running into people at parties or premieres or lobbies of Netflix or restaurants and whatnot. How do you maintain the relationships that you have with people that are maybe more sort of casual professional acquaintances that you would run into things like this that might lead to a job? Like Ashley uh, has become uh, a great collaborator on Dota Dragon's Blood, now on Netflix. Um, but before that, we were we would just see each other at Comic Con and WonderCon or or Lola's or something, or not Lola, or you know, out for drinks or something like that. But um, but without that, I, I wouldn't have been in a situation for Ashley to say, "Hey, Steve, maybe you, sh you should come work on Dota Dragon's Blood." That's not uh, true. You were co-hosting a podcast together, the Four Thirty well, Movie, okay. and that's when this all happened. <laughs> but there's so anyone. How do you are you able to maintain relationships or check in with someone? You have to co-host a podcast with every person that you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually. I mean, I would say that I've I've had more generals in the last four or five months than I've probably had in the last three years. 
Yeah. And that also includes just execs who really wanted to like follow up. And so sort of doing these catch-ups, like you're saying, where whether they were contacting my reps or vice versa, and, and I just feel like there is this weird thing where people are much more ready to hop on Zoom for half an hour than go to the office or have you go to their office or meet for drinks. So I've strangely probably had more of that now than I've had in a long time. Yeah. They don't have to serve you water and it's yeah. easier to kick you out. Yeah. You know? we, it's the nice thing because we've had uh, a lot of meetings too. And it is great because you don't have to go, well, where are they? The Valley Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we've we've had more meetings too, and and uh, we're working on a couple of pitches with with people because of that. Um, and it does seem to have erased a barrier in a way where you just have to go. Okay, everybody has to be available at four to be on Zoom, and you don't have to wear pants. So. <laughs> Hey, is everybody go. caught up with uh, the latest episode of WandaVision before? No, 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 no. Don't say okay. any of it, so I won't remember. No but, spoilers on this wonder con at all. weeks ago, Derek. That's <laughs> right. It's the show's <laughs> over. That's it's true. already the winter in the I mean, Falcon. I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of worried, like, which Infinity Stone Kay has because her eyes are glowing right now. So oh, I'm just... Those are my blue blockers. Hopefully she won't snap. I will um, say, uh, what, well, one last thing to add with that ahead, is, like, do, uh, you know, I do, like, a, a bunch of different Zoom rooms with friends. Like, I have a, my, like I said, my fellow Blurs, we do, like, a brunch that we do, like, one every Sunday. So we get together for a couple hours there. And then I have other friends that do, like, trivia nights, you know. So you have your friends and colleagues, and, and, you, and you just try to be a little bit more active or try to be active and, you know, suggest, like, doing game nights and stuff like that. So you still maintain sort of relationships with people. Because people kind of do want to get together, even if it is on a virtual, uh, you know, setting they still want that sort of connection and you be able to you know uh catch up with people and then afterwards like hey we should you know let's get on the phone let's talk i do one-on-ones with my uh, some of my friends um you know catch up like once a weekend i know ash and i we've been talking about trying to do a zoom catching up i mean so it's like you have to make a you know more of the concerted effort to try to do that mm -hmm. but they again join joining groups on facebook and it comes. It, it sort of happens organically with other people that you that you start to build relationships with. It's still relationship building, even in a virtual, you know, setting. Um, and you just gotta, you, you just have to be a much more savvy at it, much more aggressive than you normally would, uh, expecting, you know, birthday parties, right? Or and I will say too, like uh, Teresa and I have been doing since the pandemic started. Every week, every Saturday night with a, a bunch of friends, we do, we watch two episodes of, of Star Trek. Oh. Which one? Which one? All of them. All of them. We're, we're pan How do you define all of them? <laughs> what are you up to? All How do them. you decide what episodes? They're on, uh, everybody, it rotates, so somebody picks uh, every Saturday night, and we, we watch on Netflix, and then we, we get together on Zoom after, and we've been doing it every Saturday. Yeah. And, oh, it, so it, you're watching them with theme. the new effects. It's by theme. Ah, very yeah, virus like episodes. Upcoming, I, I already know my next night I'm going to do uh, two Barkley episodes from Next Gen. <laughs> I just I love Barkley, so I just want to do a Barkley night, you know. And, and then you can watch can the A-Team. Nobody mm. can complain. You have to just accept, you know, whoever's choice it is, it's their choice, even if they pick Voyager episodes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
You know, and if you're a Star Trek fan, you can listen to Inglorious Trexperts wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> or the new Inglorious Trexperts briefing room. With oh. audio commentaries of curated Star Trek episodes from writers, producers, and stars of all the Star Trek series. <laughs> oh okay, <God>. so <laughs> last but not least, uh, you can reach me, Mark Altman, on um, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, now on Clubhouse, uh, Mark A. Altman. Um, and of course... Uh, uh, what am I watching? Well, I think I said I, I just finished a flight attendant, which I loved. Um, uh, Lupin was fantastic, and I'm in the middle of uh, Call My Agent now. So, um, so much so, a plethora of great shows uh, right now. It's, it's it really is truly a golden age, and 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 you know can't say enough good things about Ted Lasso. And I'm not even in your little group, but I love Ted Lasso. Let me tell you. So, um, and then by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you the 50 year mission. Great oh, oral Lasso. history for you, <laughs> for you aspiring writers who want to know how how the sausage is made. These are some great books. There's William Goldman. There's, you know, uh, there's that wonderful book about the making of Chinatown that came out this year. And then there's always the perennial, the 50-year mission by Mark Hickman and Edward Gross. And so I think I asked plenty of questions for all of you. So I'm going to spare you any more questions. But I want to thank everyone for being part of this WonderCon at home. Uh, you can follow everybody on social media. You can join us on Clubhouse. And hopefully we'll see all of you at San Diego Comic-Con this July. And if not, we shall return to this place again someday soon. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And uh, thanks for all the great television, gang. Thank you, Mark. And Miss Thank you, This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production. Engineered by Bill Ritter for the Electric Surge Network.